welcome to talc teaching and learning consultation skills this is the talc talks podcast helping everyone who sees patients to improve their consultation skills to get better outcomes and this approach can even increase your job satisfaction This podcast is part of a series where we're talking about why and how consultation skills promote better and safer care, focusing on each module in turn. Effective consultation skills have been repeatedly shown to contribute to safer, more accurate and more patient-centred interactions. Clinicians who consult skillfully make fewer errors and they also deliver care of better quality which in turn means they conform to the expectations of regulatory bodies such as the GMC or the NMC. So in each of these, how do these consultation skills promote better and safer care chapters, there are two examples. One is of a patient with a bad sore throat and the second is a patient who says, I would like some sleeping pills. These very common scenarios need accurate clinical assessment and an effective therapeutic relationship must also be created for the right care to be offered in line with each patient's specific needs. However, such consultations can run into problems if the right consultation skills are not used. This could include conflicts, for example, if the clinician and the patient disagree about the treatment or the investigations. Safety incidents can arise if important clinical information is missed because of poor information gathering skills. Sometimes good treatment plans go wrong or fail completely if the patient's own point of view and their own needs are not properly understood because this means patients don't carry out plans. In some worst case scenarios, clinicians can be subject to complaints if things go wrong or if the patient is unhappy with how the consultation went. Many of these adverse things can be completely prevented if the right skills are used in the right way at the right time. Every part of the consultation offers opportunities for curiosity and inquiry using effective listening skills to improve the information available to the clinician and that helps to ensure that care is fully personalised to the needs of the individual patient. By exploring these two clinical situations in detail, each chapter will demonstrate the benefits of the relevant skills very clearly. So why have we chosen really bad sore throat and sleeping pills as clinical scenarios. Let's think about a really bad sore throat first. There's really no such thing as a sore throat. There's always a patient present who has the sore throat and for them the sore throat is only one aspect of their whole problem. Clinicians need to be able to maintain an open mind about what any particular patient's sore throat is really all about and avoid jumping to conclusions early on. Many clinicians start by thinking a sore throat is a straightforward situation and they focus on asking themselves questions like, is this viral or bacterial? Shall I give antibiotics or shall we not give antibiotics? This internal focus can mean important aspects of the patient's story are missed. However, thinking about the sore throat beforehand and thinking about the skills that are needed can help the clinician make a safer and more accurate assessment and plan. Thinking about the scenario when somebody says, can I have some sleeping tablets, is also quite similar. 
patients who are disturbed, stressed or distressed may sometimes introduce their quite complicated problem with a seemingly simple request such as, can I have some sleeping tablets? Just as there is no such thing as a sore throat, there's no single answer to the question of whether a patient will benefit from sleeping tablets. Successful and safe consulting in this situation means that a clinician must be able to use the generalist skill of placing the patient's problem within their own specific context. However, as most sleeping tablets have a potential for addiction, and they might not even improve sleep very much, many clinicians have a core attitude that sleeping tablets are not helpful. Thus, they may mentally answer the patient's closed question of, can I have some sleeping tablets, with a kind of mental immediate, no, you can't. Coming to the consultation with a fixed view like this can make clinicians less curious about the full story that they need to hear from the patient and can affect the accuracy of the treatment plan. So the module we're really going to focus on now is module one, which concerns beginning consultations effectively. And I've got Anne with me today. Hello Avril, I'm Anne Thomas, I'm a GP and primary care medical educator in Manchester. Great, so um, I'm going to invite you to talk about a case that came up in one of your discussions in training and then we can have a think about how the skills of beginning the consultation effectively might apply. Thanks Avril. So yeah, this is Anya's story. So Anya's 35 and she's um, been living in the UK for three years since she left uh, Syria to come to the UK and marry her husband who's resident here. So she telephones the practice to say that I've requested an appointment for a telephone call because I have a really bad sore throat for the last few days. It's improving a little with paracetamol. It feels different to other times I had a sore throat. I have a fever and I'm worried why this happens. So in this particular case, the clinician answering this request was really pressed for time. So in their mind, it's a sore throat, right? Not that complicated. And so they think to themselves, we can, I can get on with this without too much uh, previous preparation. And they call her without reading the notes. So the clinician then talks with Anya, finds out um, some details to say that she's had no symptoms at all. She's doing most of her usual activity. She's not breathless. But they do decide to ask her to attend in person for an examination because she does seem quite anxious on the telephone. They see her for an examination do the relevant examinations, including a respiratory and throat examination, which are normal. So, at this point, the clinician feels it's reasonable to diagnose a viral sore throat as the most likely diagnosis. They think to prescribe some continued paracetamol, and the safety netting they offer is a review to say, if, if things don't improve, then get in touch. And then they embark on an explanation of this, and they tell Anya she doesn't need antibiotics. So... On the face of that, that seems pretty reasonable clinical assessment. There, there don't seem any symptoms or examination findings to worry about. So um, why does this come up as a teaching point? What, what do you think else is going on or what do you think the clinician missed out on? So I started thinking about the things that they did, but particularly about the things that they had missed out. So firstly, they haven't looked at the notes before the consultation. And what this led to was that they weren't aware of some really crucial details about things that have been going on for Anya recently. Neither did they really ask sufficiently about medication that she was taking or any ongoing health issues. And importantly, they did not ask Anya about her thoughts or her worries or concerns or her expectations about 
this problem and what she wanted to talk about. Well, we're going to talk about that latter issue, about thoughts and concerns and hopes for care in the Module 3 chapter. But I suppose I'm wondering what problems arose from this possibly not completely adequate consultation. What happened in the end that, that made this clinician worried? So for Anya, there had been other things going on for her. And because the clinician hadn't read the notes carefully beforehand, they didn't notice that a previous consultation actually was recorded with the problem title hypothyroid. They didn't see that actually there were some letters recently sent from endocrinology saying thyrotoxicosis and that she'd been started on carbimazole. So, uh -huh. so, as we know, sore throat can be the first signs of a neutropenia caused or a granulocytosis, which we know is a side effect of carbimazole, is, is something that we were usually aware of and look out for carefully. In this situation, actually, Anya needed to stop that drug and have an urgent blood count. And unfortunately, the failure to know about this and the failure to do this exposed Anya to an episode of neutropenia. And actually, she ended up having a hospital admission with sepsis. Right, so that's a very adverse outcome from simply failing to prepare by looking at the notes properly beforehand. Um, does this mean you have to ask every patient with a sore throat if they're hypothyroid on carbimazole, Anne? No, obviously not. But it does mean that before seeing a patient, any patient, that the clinician should look at the notes and be aware of any comorbidities, anything that may be a clue to the present problem, what drugs or hospital clinics are involved. Looking carefully at the notes is a key generalist skill and a key consultation skill, even though these skills are used before the patient even enters the room. Absolutely. I think, um, are there any elements, that, any other elements to the complaint that uh, Anya made in the end? Yeah, actually, there was another aspect. But Anya remarked in the complaint that she felt aggrieved and she felt neglected and what she remarked upon was that she really felt that she hadn't been taken seriously and that she perceived that that was because she was, um, well, she, she used the word foreigner to say that she'd, she didn't feel that she was given the respect that she deserved. And, and that was part of her formal complaint. Mm. Well, it's interesting to think about that because that refers to another skill uh, that's involved in beginning consultations effectively, which is about establishing a proper rapport with the patient right at the beginning and showing them that you're interested and concerned about their problem and that you see them as an individual, not just another sore throat kind of thing. I'm also interested from a teaching point of view about some what-if situations here. So what if at the end of the consultation Anya had said something like, OK, I'm happy with paracetamol for now, but I've got two other things I want to talk to you about. My left ankle is very sore because I fell over yesterday. And also, can you look at this nasty mole on my back? I mean, what would have happened then? Yeah, so um, the late presentations arising um, can be avoided by using agenda setting skills. And uh, from the chapter talc, one to five, how is consultation skills like a businessman? The skills of this are outlined. The clinician is bound to feel a bit frustrated if a patient mentions two or three other important concerns. So using the skills of agenda setting makes for more accuracy and it reduces this possibility of missing things. If consultations are planned well, the better for patients and the much less stressful for clinicians. Well, that's true. Yeah. So I can sort of see from what we've been discussing here that there's a problem. But how can somebody set about improving their skills in beginning consultations effectively? What kind of things could they be doing actively to get better at doing this? Many things. So uh, using talc 
particularly reading the chapters in Tout Module 1 and listening to the podcasts and videos and using the information here to discuss case with your clinical supervisor or a mentor. In addition, taking an opportunity to assess your own consultations and then seeking to get some objective feedback from a colleague or a supervisor. And then really looking carefully to see if skills are missing, practice them in a skills rehearsal using scenarios from your practice or there's some examples in TALC module one before then going and using the skills that you've developed and really practicing with real patients until they become an automatic thing for you. Right, so there's a combination here of, of reading and learning, getting some feedback and then actually practicing the skills kind of away from patients really before you try them on real patients and that makes like a less stressful way of doing it I guess than plunging straight in with real patients. I think one of the other things that helps is this what if scenario. We did that when I said what if Anya suddenly mentions two other problems because thinking ahead about what would happen if there were relevant comorbidities or, or other factors that could change the management of a patient with a bad sore throat can just mean you're a little bit better prepared when somebody throws a bit of a curveball like saying I'm going abroad tomorrow or somebody who doesn't speak English or whatever the problem is. So Avril, are you able to tell me about a case that concerns sleeping tablets? Yeah, th this is a really interesting one actually. Um, it's about Bob. Now Bob's 29, he lives in a flat with his partner Martin and he's an engineer. And he left a message saying, could I have a telephone call from the doctor? I just need some sleeping tablets. So the clinician who told me about this did feel a bit wary about this request, but as it's pretty busy, uh, they thought they'd just make the call to Bob uh, and get on with it. So Bob explained that his work had been rather stressful recently because of pressure to increase production. He works in a biotech company and there were delays in getting deliveries and things like that. And he's not sleeping that much. And he said that he'd rang up because his partner had said, you should see the doctor. Now, Bob didn't have any symptoms of depression. He's not suicidal. He said he just doesn't want the sleeping thing to get out of hand again. So at that point, the clinician didn't completely appreciate the clues there, but they gave some advice about sleep hygiene and they offered to send Bob a, a detailed leaflet about CBT for sleep because Bob's an engineer and, you know, probably would quite respond to that kind of approach. And the leaflet includes an online course that Bob can do at home. And apparently Bob said, well, at present I can do pretty much anything, seeing as I'm already doubling up production at work. Uh, and all these features came out when we looked at the video. Bob sounds like he agreed with the plan. So what, what went wrong? Well, a few weeks later, the same clinician was called to the house to admit Bob to hospital under a section of the Mental Health Act. Uh, and that was because he'd become hypomanic and uh, had to be admitted for control of a quite difficult mental health situation at that point. There was also a complaint from Bob's partner, Martin, that no action had been taken initially uh, to prevent such a grave deterioration in Bob's mental health. So quite severe outcomes there. Yeah, two, as you say, two significant outcomes really. Obviously Bob's deterioration and this complaint which the clinician presumably then had to deal with. Mm. So looking at that, what has the clinician missed out? Well, I think there's a few things to think about here. In terms of beginning consultations effectively, they hadn't looked at the notes beforehand. And that meant they hadn't paid attention to crucial details in the past history. And they didn't inquire about ongoing health issues either. 
These are the things from beginning the consultation effectively. They also did miss some cues to a greater complexity, which are hinted at when Bob said he doesn't want the sleeping thing to get out of hand again, yeah. which tells us that something's happened before. And he also didn't pick up the concern about the partner who said, you should go and see the doctor. In terms of information gathering, I think there's a bit of grandiosity in the way that Bob said he can do pretty much anything as he's doubled up production at work. And these early signs of things could indicate that there's a need for much more closer attention to a mental health assessment. So a few clues which weren't picked up really there. So what did the review with Bob reveal? Well, when we looked at the notes together, it showed that Bob had had some episodes of mania in the past and had been stabilised on lithium before. But it turns out he's not keen on tablets and he tends to wean himself off lithium, often without telling the clinicians. He hadn't collected any lithium for a year at the point of this consultation. And in the past, his manic episodes have been triggered by two things, either recreational drug use or by overtiredness and not sleeping. Now, also, the fact that he took his partner's advice to consult the GP at this point was a really good sign that he was retaining insight. So this is very early on in his deterioration, and that could be much easier to get under control at that point than waiting into it until he's having a full-blown manic episode. The clinician seeing him could have therefore negotiated a much more nuanced way forward, which could include medication for sleep, and could include getting early advice from the psychiatric team who are looking after Bob, and that could have taken things in a very different direction. Okay, yeah. So we've heard about the things that, that weren't done or didn't go well. So how would a clinician go about improving consultation skills to prevent problems like this? Well, as you said before, I think reading the chapters and listening to the podcast to get some more information would help, um, and discussing it with, with the clinicians and mentors. And as you said before, the learning methods, which are described in detail in the module, can hone new skills for doing this, reviewing recordings, getting feedback and practicing new skills and so on. And I think the key thing is to be very aware of the patient's past history and so on. But there are some other skills in TALP module one, which will go a long way to preventing these kind of problems. So, for example, thinking about how you establish a rapport at the beginning thinking about exactly what open question you use at the start and thinking about how to establish any wider agenda. So, for example, when somebody says, oh, my partner said I should see the doctor, that partner's got an agenda as well as the person who you're talking to. And so taking a bit of time to say, well, what were they thinking about? What, what were they hoping would happen? Why did they send you? Uh, so that you get that onto the agenda at the beginning. And this is all part of beginning a consultation effectively. I was also thinking this would be an opportunity to consider some other what-if scenarios where there could be comorbidities or previous history or other factors that really would change the management of any patient who asks for some that question, can I have some sleeping pills? So there's a number of things you could do to have a really deep think about how to improve this consultation and improve the outcome for Bob. Mm. Yeah, it shows how quite small changes can have very big effects in the long run. Thank you, Anne. Thank you. This podcast was brought to you by NHS Professional Educators, making training available to all.